there, space fans. Welcome to a new edition of Last Week in Space, the supercluster podcast that brings you all the weekly updates from space exploration. This is Robin C. Mangle, director of content of Supercluster. I'm here in our New York City headquarters and on the telephone, I have Pauline Acklin and Tom Cross, who are aerospace photographers. And they have been in the field this past week covering RadarSat, which SpaceX launched Wednesday morning. And I believe that Tom and Pauline have been on an adventure to the Mexican-American border, which hopefully they can tell us about a little later. But let's get started with this RadarSat mission for the Canadian Space Agency. Supercluster readers and listeners are used to us covering missions at Cape Canaveral and at Kennedy Space Center. We rarely get to cover a mission in California. United Launch Alliance and SpaceX both launch from Vandenberg Air Force Base, but they do so very sparingly. So that's a very rare occasion um, to have some great photographers over there to cover the launch. But Pauline, Tom, it's really cool that you guys were over there. And just tell us what it's like there, because personally, I've never been there. And the Supercluster team has yet to go over there, but we will be soon. So what tips do you have and what is it like over there? In regards to Vandenberg Air Force Base and covering a launch there as a photographer? Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, once in a while, we actually get to see the launch due to the intense freaking marine layer that's always there. Um, this one in particular was... Is that fog? Fog. The technical term for fog is marine layer. Uh, at Vandenberg. Well, I learned something new today. Yes. Thank you. There's actually a parody account posing as Marine Lair. <laughs> On Twitter. Which is just awesome. But yeah, Vandenberg, it has the most picturesque backdrop as a photographer that you could want for a rocket launch, which is pretty awesome. I just wish there were more launches per year. I think this year there are two or three. Because that's the, pretty typical for Vandenberg, right? Yeah, it was really cool having the year. Iridium launches there. There were eight total, which... spread out every month or two. So it was pretty cool being able to go there regularly. But it slowed down a bit. Now tell us where Vandenberg is. It's Northern California, right? What's the nearest major city? The nearest city is Lompoc, which is about, I don't know, 10 minutes away, 10 miles or so. It's just kind of nestled in that central coast area that's always plagued with fog. But you know, a, just a beautiful picturesque area of the California coast. I noticed that SpaceX usually posts their internal photos of the launch and the missions on their Flickr page. And if you go through their Flickr page, there's very little photos from Vandenberg. And I think that goes to the reason that you were mentioning that it's just fog everywhere. And it's sort of become a joke there during launches that the photographers that go there just never capture or rarely capture liftoff, much less landing. It's probably about 60, 40, 60% of the time you're able to capture something. But even if you were to set up a a camera right on the pad, I mean, it's, it can be so thick that that might be the reason SpaceX sometimes doesn't walk away with any imagery either. Tom, can you tell us about the difference between covering launches at Cape Canaveral and covering them at Vandenberg. I know that you've been doing the Kennedy Space Center beat for a couple of years now, basically most missions. So what did you notice were the big differences in covering a mission down in Florida versus California? Down in Florida, there's a lot of pomp and circumstance because you're going over to Kennedy and sometimes you deal with NASA and there's a whole different process for getting into behind the gates and the press site there, getting escorted to the launch pads and whatnot. At Vandenberg, 
everything is very strict, but much more relaxed as in they, they trust you to be professional and follow the rules where NASA just kind of forces you into a position where you have to follow the rules. There's not, there's not much trust there. You've experienced that as well. Like we're all on the same bus and we're all watched like hawks. Uh, But at Vandenberg, you get to drive your own vehicles to the launch sites and you're not packed into a bus and having to, you know, go through all of the discomfort of getting a lot of camera gear and getting everything set up in a really short time frame. So Vandenberg was much more relaxed about that. Also at Vandenberg, there are zero mosquitoes. There's not a single mosquito okay, at the launch sold. site. I'm sold. That's yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sold. (laughs) Let's move all operations from Kennedy to Vandenberg now, because I don't know about you guys, but I've been, I've had to go to urgent care after (laughs) mosquito bites at Kennedy. Oh my God. Um, I think there, yeah, I think it was three years ago. I got bitten like 41 times one night and had to go leave. I had to leave Kennedy and go to urgent care to get like antibiotics and stuff because I was riddled. That is a big problem at Kennedy. Mosquitoes are a nightmare. And just hearing you say that makes me want to cover launches at Vandenberg and not at Kennedy. (laughs) It's gorgeous. (laughs) Tom, was this your first launch at Vandenberg or have you done a couple? This was in my second. The first one was Salcom. Oh, so you've witnessed both of the landings in California. Yeah, that's right. I only saw one of them, though. Oh, well, obviously because of the fog. But just background for our listeners, SpaceX has been obviously recovering rockets via drone ship off the Atlantic coast or Pacific coast. And sometimes they land on ground, you know, not too far from the launch pad. But in California, it's about 1,400 feet away, which is basically the same spot when you're talking launch pads and landing pads. And it took a while for SpaceX to get approval to land a rocket in California on ground because California has a lot of strict environmental laws. So they finally got approval. And like Tom said, the the first mission was SALCOM. That was their first landing in California. And Wednesday morning was their second landing ever in California. So did you guys get to witness the landing at all? Did you see that sort of loop from launch to landing or was it completely obscured? It was all 18% gray in the sky. We we saw nothing. All we heard were sonic booms and a little bit of the rumble during launch. Even when we went to go pick up remotes, the fog was still so thick, we couldn't see the booster on the pad. Or the tail. So did you guys get any usable footage at all? Only during remote setup was it a beautiful sky and clear for the few images we were able to capture in the time frame. We had like 20 minutes to set up our cameras. When you're setting up remotes, it usually takes about 20 minutes to do that. And you hardly have any time to take any pictures of the rocket. These are like B-roll photos of the rocket standing vertical at the pad, right? Yeah. Now, given your experience, especially you, Pauline, who's sort of been working the West Coast beat, you've stocked Starship stuff at the Port of L.A., You've stalked Mr. Steven, which is the boat that SpaceX designed to capture the, the payload fairing, the top cone, nose cone of the rocket. Pauline, do you see value in going up to Vandenberg still, even though you can't see the rocket? Always. Yeah, it's it's still the, the, the process of documenting an event. Whether or not you can see it, you're still there and, you know, you can hear it and just feel it and witness it. It's just, you know, the photography standpoint, not being able to capture it visually. But it's it's kind of funny <laughs> being able to take a photo of just pure gray and say that the launch is in this frame. 
you just can't see it. Uh, it's it's <laughs> kind of funny, you know. I've been taught so much patience simply by attending launches. You have to kind of go in with no expectations for the most part. Sometimes Earth just doesn't want to cooperate, and that's totally cool. You just kind of capture it from a different angle. I took a picture of a park bench and a gray marine layer as my launch image this time. So I, I love that. I think it was hilarious. <laughs> it, it is really funny that SpaceX has to launch from this launch pad sometimes, yeah. and there's just no proof of it. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you were there with yeah. the audio. It's pretty amazing. But Pauline, tell us a little bit about covering the space beat on the West Coast. Do you still head over to Port of L.A.? to check out Mr. Steven or, and is SpaceX still doing stuff over there? Do you notice? It's pretty dead now. The Birth 240, which is the site that SpaceX was in going to build their Mars rocket factory, is completely mm-hmm. dead now. There's no evidence whatsoever that they'd ever occupied it. There used to be just a bunch of fairings laying around. Those are gone. I was there a couple of weeks ago just to check it out after the past few months. Now, the story behind that, I believe it was over a year ago, there were plans for SpaceX to purchase that swath of land and build their Mars spaceship there. And like Pauline said, there was, you know, some nose cone fairings popping up, some hardware popping up along that side. And the mayor of L.A. actually announced the project as well. Um, the city of Los Angeles announced it as a big, you know, economic boom and there's going to be jobs and stuff like that at the factory. But over the course of a few months, it seems like SpaceX has actually changed their mind, maybe. And there's been word that they're just going to build this spacecraft at Kennedy Space Center and at Boca Chica, Texas. Mm-hmm. So we don't know the behind the scenes workings of that. This isn't the first time those plans have changed. And, you know, when you're dealing with a spacecraft that doesn't exist yet and is basically a concept, the way it's built and manufactured will likely evolve over time. And that includes the location. I think I was the first one to write about the Port of L.A. before they announced. And the question I proposed was, how are they going to get what essentially is the largest spaceship in existence when it's built across the country to Kennedy Space Center? or to Texas? Do you float it over the Panama Canal or do they truck it across the country or what do they do? And it it seems like a logistical question and it kind of makes sense for them to build it in Florida or build it in Texas and then launch from the sites that they own there. Agreed. But speaking of Boca Chica and speaking of Texas, I don't know how much of the public knows that SpaceX has bought a huge portion of property along the Mexican-American border And they are building a launch pad there. They have a facility there where they're building a Starhopper prototype, which the Starhopper is the spaceship before they build their Starship. And the Starship is what is supposed to take humans to the moon, humans to Mars. It's part of their long-term vision for one single vehicle that launches humans, cargo, everything to space. And uh, that's what they're currently building. Now, Tom and Pauline this past week made a trip down to Boca Chica, and we're hoping to hear what it's like down there and what is SpaceX doing there, if you guys can enlighten us. It was hot. Wasn't it? It was like 120 and then a million percent humidity. Yeah. Remember that? I do. The ground was cracking under the sunlight. So you guys were, were you both on the Mexican side of the border? No. Five miles, I think, was the closest we got. Were you allowed to go there? If I had had my passport on me, probably, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tom had his. Right, Tom? 
And yeah. what, where did you guys stay? Is there like places to stay in that area? I imagine not. Yeah, we just literally kept driving. <laughs> <laughs> did SpaceX security try to track you guys down? No, not, not, a, not at all. Uh, we were approached by, I think, local law enforcement just wanting mm-hmm. to tell us what the rules were about where we could stand or not stand. And that was cool. And we just, we abided by that. We actually met up with Boca Chica Gal, who's the local photographer covering spaceship right. or a, uh, starship. And she kind of took us around and showed us the trails where we could capture good imagery. And what a wonderful human. It was really cool bumping into her. Actually, she knew we were coming. We didn't just bump into her, but she was just lovely. So we got to see the sights from all angles and get some kind of, I think, unique imagery with the terrain and all that versus just what the news is. Kind of felt like we were on her turf. So we we tried to capture things that were not really news related and more just, you know, the environment. Look at this cool scene kind of stuff. And we were just there for a few hours passing through. So yeah, it was really awesome. Now you guys didn't have access to the facility. No, we were not actually on the facility within the gate. We were outside of the gated areas. And so we took all of our images from there. I don't think anyone is allowed inside. The hardware though is 15 feet from the gate. So you can go right up to the gate and you're 15 feet from stainless steel rocket and you can hear what the employees are talking about and see what they're having for lunch and stuff because you're that close it's unlike florida where everything is onerous and they don't want you around and they give you dirty looks these guys were actually quite cool you guys went down there to capture some photos of the starhopper prototype and they've already tested this one time correct they fired their raptor engines yes a couple of months ago Mm -hmm. and are they preparing to do that again is that why you guys were down there We weren't trying to time it. I think we were basically thinking taking a road trip down there would be cool just to see it between the two launches that we're trying to cover. You know, with launches always changing dates and everything, we didn't have any expectations that we'd see a Raptor test when we got there. We really just wanted to see it and be able to capture some photos of it. It's a really difficult place to fly to. Do you think you'll go back down? Um, I don't know. I'm not sure. It's also one of those cost-effective things. It was much easier driving there than trying to coordinate airfare with something that may not be happening there. So we really just wanted to see it with our own eyes and capture the terrain and some sort of photojournalistic thing. You know how SpaceX is always changing everything and moving locations. We really just both wanted to see it. And that was was the nature of why we went down. Where can um, our listeners find your photos? Oh, in my case, Instagram or Twitter. Instagram for photos, for sure. My handle is Pakalin, and there's a link to my Twitter on there as well. And we'll link that in the podcast description for you. What is the next ag- adventure for each of you? Falcon Heavy. Yes, Falcon freaking Heavy. It's going to be Falcon Awesome. It's cool because it's a night launch this time. Okay, I'm really dumb when it comes to photography. Isn't night launches, aren't they harder to shoot? Are you guys excited to shoot this Falcon Heavy launch at night? I prefer day launches. I feel personally there are more options for photography during day launches. However, I say that and then obviously during the SEOCOM 1A launch, it was like a nebula forming in the sky. Very unusual though to have something that spectacular happen during a night launch. Yeah, this will be cool. I mean, no one's ever seen a Falcon Heavy night launch. I'm excited to see it. So are we. The Supercluster team is heading down to cover the launch along with you guys and and light sail will be going up during this launch. Right. Not it's light sail, it's light sail for Planetary Society. Yeah. A bunch of payloads for the Air Force, a bunch of payloads for NASA. 
and 146 cremated bodies. No way. Did you guys know that? No. Yeah. The company, the company Celestis, which in server cluster a couple of weeks ago, we ran a profile, a piece and a profile of the company that launches human remains to space for memorializing. And right after we published that article, they reached out to us and they were like, hey, actually, we're launching on Falcon Heavy in a couple of weeks. So, oh, man. Um, that's a really exciting thing. So there's all these little random payloads. NASA's launching an atomic clock. There's a new kind of fuel going up. There's also payloads we don't know about, which are always interesting, you know, wow. uh, secret Air Force payloads, DOD payloads. So that's your next mission. It's our next mission. Hopefully we can hang out down there. But let's say an amateur photographer is listening. And since you're both the best, in my opinion, what are tips for people who are coming to Cape Canaveral or Vandenberg? Well, let's say Cape Canaveral because you don't want to go shoot at Vandenberg since you're only <laughs> going to get fog. But let's say some amateur photographers or photographers are coming down to Cape Canaveral for Falcon Heavy. What tips do you have for them? And not just photography tips, just life tips. Life tips. Life tips. That's a whole different category. Yeah, I could go off on that. Okay, well, I know this. Okay, hold on. Let me, <laughs> let me interrupt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, okay, Tom drinks more coffee than any human that I have ever met. <laughs> like Tom and I would sit at a restaurant and this dude will drink four uh, coffees in front of me and and not move. He'll just be normal and calm as Tom is. So Tom, coffee is definitely on the list for shit <laughs> that you have to bring down to Cape Cod. What are you going to be shooting with? What are you going to be doing for Falcon Heavy? Are you going to be doing pad photos, remote photos? Give some tips. Okay, bring bug spray. Get there a couple hours ahead of time. Smart, smart. Take some practice images if you're trying to nighttime streak. I'm not going to give you settings because everybody's settings are going to be a little bit different. They say for your first launch, they say, you know, they know what they're talking about. If you've never been to a launch to just not use a camera and just sit there and absorb it and enjoy it. Just, Good you know, food for thought. I did. Also and food. It was pretty awesome. Bring food. Yeah, bring a snack. Bring a snack, especially if there's a launch window, because oftentimes it'll go toward the end of the window. Falcon Heavy is a four-hour launch window, I believe. Okay. Maybe three to four hours. Mm-hmm. That's pretty long. I'm not going to judge SpaceX or NASA, but they usually give us food. Okay, they used to, they used to give us food for launches, but they don't anymore. Tom, do you remember those days? No. Before I came pre- became press, I saw that you had posted an image of coffee containers with SpaceX cups and a SpaceX logo on the coffee. And it was like yes. SpaceX gave press coffee. And I said, this really rocks. I can't wait to have that. So I get there and I go to the press site where photojournalists, editors, news agencies, everybody who works in offices who thrive on caffeine who need it to do their job there is not a single coffee pot in the press site no coffee for anyone this is yeah this is this is a huge problem this is a huge problem in my opinion i think we need a coffee machine i started to bring my own carafe a full of coffee 13 cups of coffee to get through the 20 hour day of documenting this launch can you believe that too it takes like 20 hours to document a two minute a two-minute launch. That is absolutely true. When you are covering a mission, I i mean, I block out multiple days. It just feels like we don't sleep and we're exhausted by the time it's all over. Because what Thomas says, it's right. It's, it's not just being there for the launch. We have mission briefing. We have launch pad visit. We have driving between driving and driving and driving. So much driving. A lot of time being consumed. 
but this coffee situation at the press site, if anyone is listening, NASA or SpaceX related, for crying out loud, a coffee machine, let's have one, please. SpaceX has been pretty good. They give us water, they give us snacks. But back in the day before people cared about all this stuff and reporters started showing up, we had uh, full meals and stuff. We had it good. Yeah, they, they would deliver like 60 really delicious sandwiches for like 12 people. Yes, exactly. And I would just take some home. They asked. That's how, they asked that's how good like, we had it. So Please take it. <laughs> we made yeah. too much. And now it's like they don't make any. Pauline, when you covered Iridium launches, yeah. I heard that Iridium provides a pretty good breakfast spread. Oh, my for gosh. For SpaceX launches. I don't, so good for I don't even know where to start. I don't <laughs> even know where to start. Literally. I heard they I, serve avocado um, toast. I never saw that, but they did have on an open flame a big pot of actual real hot chocolate that they would use a ladle to put into nice. a cup for you and hand over. It was like, wow. That is pretty amazing. Well, it's too bad that Iridium isn't launching in a while. Well, guys, thank you so much for giving your insight and telling us about your adventures this past week. Thanks for having us, dude. This is cool. 